gardenias para ti, con ella quiero decir, te quiero, te adoro, mi vida, ponle todas tu atención, que serán tu corazón y el mío, dos gardenias para ti. Tendrán todo el calor de un beso, de esos besos que te di y que jamás te encontrarán en el calor de otro que a tu lado vivirán y se hablarán como cuando estás conmigo. Hasta creerán que te dirán, te quiero, pero si un atardecer las gardenias de mi amor se mueren, es porque han adivinado que tu amor me ha traicionado porque existe otro querer. I could honestly say that's probably my favorite love song. Two gardenias for you. And it says, for my love, for my, I don't know. It's, I love Spanish because there's so many ways of, I mean, you can actually say, you know, for the one that trips my heart. There's yeah. a word for, you know, I like you. It's like, I love you, I care about you. I, there's like five different ways of saying I love you. Yeah. Te quiero, mi amor. Yeah, you wouldn't say I love chocolate. <laughs> they have a different word for that. Yeah. You know? Well, unless you really, truly were in love with the food of chocolate. <laughs> in which case, uh, that might be going a little too far. Yep. So, happenings. Happenings. Well, one of the first ones we can get to is one that's already underway. It's the Big Muddy Film Fest. And if you pick up yesterday's um, DE, or you can go to Big Muddy Film. Is it Film Festival? I just uh, forgot. It's BigMuddyFilm.org. That's what I thought. Because, honestly, 
there's no way I can pick out well, I'll pick out a couple just because I'm that way. Yeah. They're all so good, but we could pick out a few anyway just to highlight the goodness of them all. I'm going to pick out just like the deep thinkers because, you know, we are an environmental social talk show. Yes. So there's going to be, well, hundreds of films, shorts, longs, semi-shorts. Oh. Here's a few documentaries. Tonight at 8 p.m. in WAM Room 105, the feature documentary will be Chernobyl. So, I don't think that needs an explanation. And then Sunday at the Student Center Auditorium at 2 p.m., the death penalty. And then again in WAM Room 103 at 3 p.m. on Sunday will be Cuba Today. And on Monday at 8 p.m., in WAM room 105, remembering Hiroshima. So, um, go to the website, pick up, honestly, probably any paper. We'll give you a list of the different films, but probably the best to go to the website because it gives the detail of each film or you can just wander around a few places, our uh, Long Branch Coffee House, uh, WAM Room 105, there's something every evening there, uh, the Student and Center Auditorium, again, every evening there, and um, every day at noon, Carasota's University 8 is going to show a film. So. These are a few places around town that you can just wander in and see some films. Yes, so independent films are afoot, and that's quite a good happening. So let's see, and other happenings, yeah, I'd like to mention this one because it relates to uh, the show after us, uh, 80s Hades. If you like listening to DVX, you might even listen to our show and their show on Friday mornings. No, not two shows. <laughs> two shows? Oh, how many DVX shows could we pack into a single day? It's an adventure I often seek out. <laughs> but so the happening is more 80s Hades. For those who need more 1980s music than they can get on 80s Hades, the fine distillation of the best and the rest of the decade's music, hosted by Dr. Incognito and Claire, on Fridays, oh, it says on Fridays at noon, they, it's like Fridays from 10.30 to noon. Uh-oh. They've got a little blooper there, but... Since we always see them Fridays at 10.30, I remember this fact. Yep. <laughs> so, uh, DJ Beasley is putting together a special event this coming Wednesday, February 28th, at Hangar 9. The event is called 99 Red Balloons, and this party will feature 80s music, nostalgia giveaways, and a costume contest. I'm guessing an 80s con costume contest. <laughs> so, there will also be artists setting up and creating work there, and that sounds like fun. I think so. 80s Adventures this Wednesday. Another happening this week. Global warming is back with the vengeance. Dun, dun, dun. Well, technically when it's cold, that's part of global warming. Yes. It's kind of hard to wrap your mind around, but global warming creates climate extremes. Yes, climate destabilization. Well, climate crisis. <laughs> destabilization... Hey, I said it, though. Yeah, let's see. Oh. Destabilization. Yeah. Syllables. <laughs> um, another happening is 
the greenest and the meanest vehicles of 2007 list has come out. Now, um, we as Americans should be disgusted. Not a single American company has made it on the greenest list. Huh. Of course, half of the ones on the meanest list are American companies. Huh. But and the most interesting thing I thought was a hybrid actually is not number one. Oh, really? What's number one? Number one is the Honda Civic GX, which is a compressed natural gas car. Huh. So, um, otherwise, of course... Uh, Toyota Prius, then the Honda Civic Hybrid, the Nissan Altima Hybrid, the Toyota Yaris, which is not a hybrid, just an energy-efficient car, Toyota Corolla, then the Toyota Camry Hybrid, because the Toyota Camry, they actually made it hybrid not so much for energy efficiency, but for power. Yeah. <laughs> and then the Honda Fit, the, Rio, uh, the Kia Rio, the Hyundai Accent, the Hyundai Ultra, and then the Honda Civic. I'm going to have to ask them why the uh, Tesla Roadster isn't on the greenest vehicle list. Well, it hasn't, it hasn't been manufactured yet. Uh, well, they've got, like, the, the first run out. But, like, it's only, you know, it's only, like, 100 vehicles. <laughs> well, I mean, I, maybe it has to be mass-produced. Yeah, I don't know. It might be the... Because, you know, there's all sorts of single-model, uh, you know, really ecological cars. And speaking of Tesla... It's actually one of our news articles. Should we go to it, or do you have, do you have uh, another could, happening? We could uh, get to the happenings Let's and then leave them in suspense. Oh, yeah. You well. know, suspense. Ooh, what's the Tesla-related news going The to Land be? of Electric Enchantment, just to let you know ah, that's the title of the article. I want to live in the Land of Electric Enchantment. There you go. Other happenings. In the meantime, we have other happenings here in the Land of Southern Illinois. And speaking of Southern Illinois happenings, there's a fundraiser for the Southern Illinois Irish Fest. Taste of the Grain and Scottish Dinner. It's an annual Irish Fest fundraiser. I was going to do some Irish music, but... No, that's country. I, yeah, I should have queued up my Irish music. I've got another song queued up, but... Uh, <laughs> so let's see. Uh, they actually, for this, it's an event you buy tickets for, and they want you to RSVP by today. The event is tomorrow at 6 p.m. at Glassy Junction, which is formerly known as the Chicago Underground. The tickets are $35. There will be music by the Dorians and a Scottish-inspired uh, buffet there. For more information, you can visit www.silirishfest.org or you can call 618-549-3090. And I always love the Irish Fest, so I try to mention any related happenings. And I actually have two happenings for Black History Month. Um... Barbara Tagger, historian from the National Park Service U.S. Department of the Interior, will speak tonight at 7 p.m. at the Student Center at the Illinois Room. This is free admission, and this is part of Black History Month. Also, as part of Black History Month, I'm going to mangle this name, Bakari Kitwana, 8 p.m. at Necker's Hall 240, Leonard Auditorium. The lecture is Why White Kids Love Hip-Hop and the Hip-Hop Generation. Hmm. Free admission, part of Black History Month. Both of these are from the Daily Egyptian calendar. Yes. So let's see. We have at least two more happenings that I know of. 
And if you want to send us your happenings, you can email me at treesong at treesong.org. Because he's the happening guy and he collects the haps. <laughs> yes, I collect what's happening. <laughs> but uh, we'll have more about this one next week, but uh, the vagina monologues are coming up. They're not this coming weekend, but the next weekend, March 2nd to 4th. And uh, on the Friday, they're having it at 7.30. On Saturday, it's at 7.30. And at Sunday, it's at 2. There's actually a big article about it in the nightlife uh, this week. It has all the details. And this year, I might actually make it. I have... I made it one year last year, and I was so overwhelmed that I have to go see it. I mean, it's been here for years and years, and I've missed it every year. Yeah. I've made, I've made it once, like a few years ago, and it was really, really good. And I've been wanting to make it back since then. But I actually know two people, at least two people, who are in it. So I'm going to try to make it back this year. Good deal. Other happenings? Other happenings. The, the final happening is the elections coming up here in Carbondale. Uh, it's, the primary elections are coming up this coming Tuesday, February 27th. And uh, they've got a list of the precincts and such in the nightlife this week. And it'll on your voter registration card, it'll say what precinct you're in. And then this will help you to find where that actually tells you to go. But they've also got a website, too. Uh, now, if you have a pen and paper handy, I can read the website because it's a little long. <laughs> but it's uh, www.co.jackson.il.us slash departments slash co underscore clerk slash polls.htm. So if you've forgotten any of that, you can email me or uh, check out the nightlife. Which or do a search for the Jackson County, Illinois polls. Yeah. <laughs> It'll probably pop right up. It'll probably pop up too. But okay. Voting fever is in the air. <laughs> now, my little editorial here. Um, in case you're in some sort of um, subterranean bliss, Britney Spears went all Shania O'Connor on us this weekend. We're choosing not to focus on the media's carnivorous appetite for the pretty woman they've helped make train wrecks so far this year. Pseudo-lesbian Miss Teen USA, Anna Nicole, Lindsay Lohan, Brittany. Instead, we'll call Brittany's new head a sound echo choice. You know, it takes far less water to scrub a scalp than to do what most of us do, stand under gallons of running water, washing our hair. You go, Brittany. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess she, she did that for the ecological choice. There you go. See, that's why I did that. Yeah. Threw in a little editorial there. Yeah. I may have to uh, shave my head to save on water use. <laughs> well, I can't. Um, it's part of my culture yeah to have long hair so yeah it's not technically specifically part of my culture but it kind of feels like it is uh, you know because I, I feel like if we weren't supposed to have this hair then why is it growing <laughs> <laughs> like you know yeah I, I yeah okay so let's get you I, I left the Tesla up to you yes the Tesla the so, Tesla so we will 
Let's see if I can find the, the land of electrical enchantment. You gonna make me read it? The land of electrical enchantment. <laughs> yes. Tesla Motors to build electric car plant in New Mexico. Ah, <laughs> I hadn't I hadn't read through the articles yet, so this is news to me too. In April, electric car startup Tesla Motors will break ground on a manufacturing plant in Albuquerque, which beat out Flagstaff, Arizona, and Pittsburgh, California, for the honor. The plant will turn out 10,000 White Star sedans a year starting in 2009. These zero-emission cars will go 250 miles on a full charge and start at $50,000. Hey, they, it was 100000 Yeah, now oh. they're down to 50000 nice. I knew, I knew this day would come. The 150,000-square-foot uh, plant which will provide 400 jobs, has officials singing the company's praises. Quote, Tesla is committed to clean energy and so is New Mexico, saying Governor Bill Richardson. While Senator Jeff Bingaman warbled that the state would be, quote, a major participant in seeing electric cars become the cars of the future. Well, the cars of the present, I would say, but that's <laughs> my own comment. Yeah, there's still people talking about the future and yeah. stuff like solar energy will be the energy of the future. Um, yeah, worldwide growth is 40% a year. There's no industry in the world that grows that fast. Yeah, it's yeah, the energy it, of now. Yeah. <laughs> it's the energy of it already started a while ago, so <laughs> get on the bandwagon. <laughs> uh, the state is expected to put $7 million toward the $35 million facility, as well as various tax credits. Were they swayed by the pungent passion of Tesla chair Elon Musk? Quote, I really believe the future is electric vehicles. <laughs> Even they he go. says it. You say, I'm going to have to, they've got a blog on there that you can comment on, so I'll have to comment. Yeah, people, I've, I've been going after people who say alternative energy <clears throat> instead of renewable energy. Yeah. And finally, you know, people in the industry, after, you know, years, are starting to say renewable yeah, energy, renewables. and now it's sustainable energy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Okay. Well, yeah, oh, I guess I didn't know this. He's also a PayPal co-founder. Wow. No, so that's where he gets the money to start up Tesla. Yeah. Nice. And I love this quote that he ends with. I think we will look back upon gasoline-powered cars as a temporary aberration. <laughs> Straight to the source, Forbes, Associated Press, 20th of February, 2007. I'm very happy to hear that news because you've, if you've been listening, you've heard me mention Tesla Motors many times. And um, I think we talked about it last week that California is planning to pass laws that will phase out and um, make it illegal to have an incandescent bulb. Yeah. And we thought, wow, that's crazy. <laughs> well, they've had their filament. Australia to fully phase out incandescent bulbs by 2010. Now, that's only three years away. Yeah. For a country. An entire country. Yeah. Let alone a state to say that, well, I mean, they are extremely energy wasteful. Okay. In a world first, Australia will officially make the switch away from incandescent bulbs. Environment Minister Malcolm Turnbull said today that the country would phase out inefficient lighting over the next three years, reducing greenhouse gas emissions hundreds of thousands of tons a year and cutting household lighting costs up to 66%. Quote, if the rest of the world follows our lead, he said, this will reduce an amount of energy to the tone of five times as much energy as Australia will cons consumes. End quote. 
Similar bulb banning campaigns are gaining steam in the UK and California with compact fluorescents, which cost up more upfront but last four to ten times longer, and use 20% of the energy of incandescence, appearing as the leading alternative. Critics in Australia pointed out that much more could be done, including focusing on industrial energy-saving measures and ratifying the Kyoto Protocol, which Australia and the U.S. are the only two countries who have not signed the Kyoto Protocol. Yeah. But Turnbull defended the move. Quote, it's a small thing, he said, but it's a massive change. Straight to the source, BBC News, Herald Sun, the Sydney Morning Herald, and the Los Angeles Times, the 20th of February, 2005. Huh. I used to have this image now of uh, like people in on dark street corners in Australia trading their incandescent bulbs, like, hey, I've got the contraband goods here. <laughs> you, <know? laughs> you still want to pollute? Here you go. <laughs> you still want to pollute. It's like, It'll cost you $20. Yeah. <laughs> $20 to get you fixed. <laughs> Okay, so let's see. In other news, oh, I want to read this one because it's interesting and sure to stir controversy. <laughs> the end of organic. I've seen chefs receive almost mythical rock and roll status. It may be time for farmers to receive that fame. Uh, organic is no longer hip among some people. <laughs> if it is at Walmart, then how can it be? Now that we are concerned about food miles, who wants organic vegetables from California in New York or Toronto? The advent of mass market, big business, organic agriculture is pushing those on the cutting edge of food production away from the term organic. Now they're urging uber green consumers to buy locally, to know where your food comes from, and to create a relationship with the farmer who grows it. Many more people are going to have to find our way back to the craft of growing food. And that's taken from an article from The Star. And it's an interesting question, you know, that has come up several times on this show. Like, Yeah, I have always advocated buying locally before I'll buy organic. And especially now with a lot of organic, they grow in essentially factory farms, large organic things. So... Um, if the soil doesn't have a lot of nutrients, the food doesn't have a lot of nutrients. Mm -hmm. So even though it's not grown with pesticides and chemicals, it's still not as nutri nutritious as food grown locally. So, yes, I guess ecological or sustainable grown food is much better than organic. Yeah. So and you know. It one of the goals, too, is to try to get local and organic or local and, you know, some form of ecologically grown. Yep. So. The way to a Manchester's stomach. New study says some organic food know better for the environment. In case you weren't confused enough about your grocery shopping, a government-sponsored study in the U.K. has added a possible twist. It suggests that some organic foods may not be better for the environment than their conventional counterparts. While the 200-page study by the Manchester Business School found that many organic products do have lower impacts than their pesticide-laden brethren, it points out that the act of producing others can actually have a greater impact. Organic milk, for instance, requires 80% more land and creates 20% more carbon dioxide than conventional milk. Organic chickens, because they're raised longer than those crammed into those crummy conventional co-ops, 
require 25% more energy. Britain's top organic group, the Soil Association, acknowledged that in some cases organic farming can be less energy efficient, but said that the factors not considered in the study more than make up for that, like, say, eating foods that, you know, laced with neurotoxins. Yeah. <laughs> Straight to the source, the Telegraph, the 20th of February, and the Independent Daily Mail, the 19th of February, 2007. I don't know. Maybe those neurotoxins are tasty. You know? <laughs> well, MSG, a lot of people were taking that. Isn't that supposed to be yeah. you know, bad? Yeah. It makes the food taste a lot better. <laughs> yeah, so a choice between good taste or neurotoxins. <laughs> Uh, let's see. In other news, I've got to read this one, if only for the title. Uh, oh, if it weren't for those meddling kids. Legislators around the globe demand climate change action. This week, Canada's House of Commons voted 161 to 113 to force the Conservative government to stick to its Kyoto Protocol greenhouse gas emissions targets and to punish over-polluting industries. Since taking power in 2006, the Conservatives have continually claimed that Kyoto targets would simply be impossible to reach. Darling, so why even try? <laughs> you said darling. Darling. <laughs> the, new, the new measure, likely to pass the Liberal-dominated Senate, is binding. You mean legislatures can pass binding resolutions? <laughs> and it gives the big guns 60 days to follow through. If the Conservatives do nothing, a Canuck catfight could ensue. Uh, say that ten times fast. Canuck catfight could ensue. <laughs> Opposition parties could take the feds to court or issue a no-confidence vote to force a spring election. Down south, a coalition of legislators from the G8 nations in Brazil, China, India, Mexico, and South Africa ended a two-day D.C. summit with strong recommendations for emissions action from all countries, quote, in line with our capabilities and historic responsibilities, and a demand that post-Kyoto plan be in place by 2009. Oh, who do these people think they are? Uh, straight to the source, BBC News, 15th of February, 2007. Now I'm going to do a book review because, well, every once in a while someone sends me a book and I review it. <laughs> Book review. Little house on a small planet. Just as hunger isn't caused by a scarcity of food, homelessness and our housing crisis aren't caused by a lack of houses. So says Francis Moore Leip in the foreword to Little House on a Small Planet. A Wonderful book by Shay Solomon with photographs by Nigel Valdez. Shay has the question, how much space does it take to be happy? And proceeds to answer the question, not very much. She then proceeds to ask why there are big houses, you know, keeping up with the Joneses, easy financing, because we can, and instructs us to find new Joneses, or to forget the Joneses. It's not just how you build, but how you live. Chapters with titles like Choose What You Need and Build a Glove, Not a Warehouse and Make a Room of Your Own. It is a very lovely book that teaches you how to live in less space and have more room to enjoy it. Dozens of teeny houses are beautifully photographed with what must be kind of a wide-angle lens. Mm. One of my favorites was actually 180 square foot 
180 square foot Cobb Cottage, cottage where a couple lived for 10 years and apparently still talk to each other. I must point out that with a few exceptions, these houses would fall into the crunchy granola school of design built by free spirits who believe. We quote out of context here. Architect design is synonymous with don't ask how much it costs. And there is a bias toward warm climates where one can always go outside. And so, nonetheless, there is the spirit and conviction of the people in this book who not only believe, as I do, that we should all live with less, but actually make the decision to go out and do it and explain how. It is informative and inspiring book. And the name of the book is Little House on a Small Planet. Sounds like fun. There's a lot of good pictures in it, too, so it's I really like pictures. Yeah. For the average person, it's hard to visualize, well, how unique. I mean, basically, the idea is build a home that is you. Spend the same amount of money for a small home that is um, personalized. Yeah. There you go. That's one of my favorite things about Cobb is, like, the, the art you can do with it. Like, you can shape it in unique ways and embed art into it. And you could, if you want to, you could also just make it look square, you know, but... <laughs> the momentum of climate change. You want to do it, or...? Oh, yeah, I can go ahead. The momentum of climate change. Let's see. Uh, if I can find the momentum of climate change. I, I really like this article because it's actually from the Wall Street Journal. Um, anyway... I'll go ahead and read it. You can go ahead. The momentum of climate change. We long ago gave up covering the skeptical antics of the Wall Street Journal or Canada's National Post. It just got boring and repetitive. Now Stephen Dubner, co-author of Freakonomics, does the numbers and asks, does big business care about climate change as much as everybody else? Now judging from the pages of the Wall Street Journal, the answer is yes. Here are some of the headlines appearing in a recent edition. Oh, I can actually get some of these headlines. Go for it. Yes. While housing withers, green materials bloom. Arctic melting may clear path to vast deposits of oil and gas. Biodiesel bio powers up on financing. Emissions caps could be erroneous. Biodiesel powers up on financing, again. <laughs> Group seeks greenhouse gas cuts. EU sets 20% reduction in emissions by 2020. And that is just the marketplace section, a lot of coverage for an issue that they say does not exist. Dubner says, it is stunning to me how the threat of climate change has moved so swiftly from big simmering news story to a gigantic omnipresent news story. Yeah. So well, we here at Your Community Spirit have been covering it for a long time, so we were yeah. on the ball. <laughs> yeah, we we like talking about gas and, you know, pollution and all the stuff you can do to create more gas and more pollution. <laughs> no, actually to get rid of it. Yeah, hopefully. And, I mean, pollution means waste, and waste means loss of money. Yeah. So the more you pollute, the more it costs you money. Yeah. So... Um, I I actually got called for I've got called a lot this last couple of weeks because of the high energy costs. Yeah. And 
from the news, a lot of the news too, and they were like, what can people do? I was like, well, the average person wastes 40% of their energy. <laughs> we can use less energy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's the simplest thing there well, is. And if you think about it too, you know, with the rate increases, like the rates increase a certain amount, and if we're wasting a certain amount, it, it'll... If we stop wasting, it'll cancel out some of that rate increase. Very much. Doesn't mean that they shouldn't lower the rates again, but... <laughs> <laughs> well, it's actually getting more close to the cost of, real cost of energy. Yeah. I mean, I cannot imagine living um, overseas where the cost of gasoline is 4 to $5 a gallon. Yeah. That's just, it's been like that for years. Yep. So, all right. Well, hopefully this will be a week of not wasting energy. Yes. It's warmed up, so it's not going to cost so much, but that does not mean you should not not waste. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Get out, get sunny, get happy.